registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. May is National Celiac Awareness Month. In today's episode, I will be talking about celiac disease and the many nuances to diagnosis. I will be talking about non-celiac gluten sensitivity and wheat allergy. I wanted to start off with one of my favorite videos from Jimmy Kimmel. This was, I think, a few years ago. Someone showed me this video, and I thought it was funny. It's picking fun at people who eat gluten-free for non-medical reasons. Mind you, I do choose to eat gluten-free, given my health history and my history with digestive issues and antibiotics. But I thought because I was recording alone, we could all use a little laugh before I dive into the research. People can't eat gluten for medical reasons, which that I get. I, it annoys me, but I get it. But a lot of people here don't eat gluten because like uh, someone in their yoga class told them not to. Gluten, in case you didn't know, and I didn't know this, is a mixture of two proteins found in wheat and some other natural grains. But here in L.A., it's comparable to Satanism. It's... it's <laughs> So we sent a camera crew out to a popular exercise spot right up the street from us to ask people who are gluten-free a simple question. What is gluten? Do you maintain a gluten-free diet? I do indeed. And what is gluten? Okay. Does he know what gluten is? No. Everyone says no. Well, as far as for me, how it affects my body. Uh, but, what, but what is gluten? Oh, this is pretty sad because I don't know. <laughs> If you want to watch the full video, type in pedestrian question, what is gluten on YouTube for some more laughs. But in all seriousness, celiac disease is a very serious condition, as well as gluten sensitivity and wheat allergy. So first things first, we need to talk about what gluten actually is. And gluten is defined as a family of proteins. It's found in grains such as wheat, rye, barley, and oats. And there are two main proteins that are in gluten. The first one is gliadin, and the second one is glutenin. And similar proteins in rye, hardened barley, and another one that's found in oats can contribute to the definition of what gluten actually is. So it's a protein, and they are basically components of this food that some people might have reactions to. I absolutely love that Jimmy Kimmel video because it is accurate that a lot of health trends that we see are stemming from misinformation and people thinking that in order to lose weight or be healthier, they should just follow you know what the next influencer is recommending. Now, gluten sensitivity is a real thing as well as wheat allergy and celiac disease. So I'm going to start by breaking down these different definitions. So celiac disease affects about 1% of otherwise healthy Americans, and it's 
a surprising statistic that as many as 83% of Americans with celiac disease don't actually know and they have been misdiagnosed with another medical condition. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disease where the body's immune system reacts to the consumption of gluten, which is that protein, and it attacks the lining of the intestine. And this is why we are concerned with someone who has celiac disease who consumes even just a very small amount of gluten is because this can cause long-term damage to the small intestine. And this small intestine, this part of our digestive tract, is where we absorb vital nutrients such as iron and B12 and calcium. And if you're damaging these little villi, then you're at risk for malnutrition and osteoporosis and neurological conditions because these are nutrients that are vital to optimal health and functioning. Symptoms of celiac disease are not just isolated to the gastrointestinal tract. So yes, if you have celiac, you might experience pain in your abdomen, you might experience diarrhea, bloating, gas, but some of the symptoms are unusual. You might be surprised to hear that they're associated with celiac disease and they include things like fatigue, weight loss, skin rashes, headaches, joint pain, depression and anxiety, and oftentimes this is why celiac can go undiagnosed is because someone might have these symptoms and they might not even have the gastrointestinal symptoms, so they just assume that they don't have it. So how do we diagnose celiac? The most common and modern blood tests that we use are two blood tests. The first one is TTG, tissue transglutaminase IgA antibody levels. And then we also have deaminated gliadin peptide IgA, IgG antibody levels, also known as DPG. So these tests are the blood tests that your practitioner might use to make a diagnosis and they're accurate, but they're not perfect. So some patients will actually have active celiac with having a negative test result. So you're probably starting to see how difficult it can be to actually diagnose celiac disease. Now, if you are testing positive for these antibodies, then the doctor will likely recommend a small biopsy of your small intestine. And the reason for this is because the doctor is going to want to see how much damage you have to those villi. These are little tiny finger-like projections that are in your small intestine, those ones that absorb the nutrients. And this is another process of confirming your diagnosis of celiac disease. And then you would further go on to follow a gluten-free diet very strictly in order to prevent this damage to your small intestine. If you are someone who has first-degree relatives with celiac or you have an associated autoimmune condition like type 1 diabetes, autoimmune thyroid, Down syndrome, Turner syndrome, autoimmune Lyme disease, IgA deficiency, it's a really good idea to get tested for celiac disease because they are often associated. There's also a genetic component to celiac disease. There are two genes. One is the HLA-DQ2 and the HLA-DQ8. Now, if you have these genes, you cannot assume that you have celiac disease. But if you don't have these genes, 
then you can assume that you don't have it. So what do we do to treat celiac disease? Now, this is a condition that you have for life. It's not something that will ever go away, and it requires that you remain on a very strict gluten-free diet. And this can be tricky because there's a lot of food products out there that contain hidden sources of gluten that we might not be aware about, and there's also the issue of cross-contamination. So if you go order a grilled cheese or a piece of salmon or... Um, you know, a salad that's been cooked at a restaurant, the equipment that they're using for to make that food could have even gotten a tiny particle of, you know, some other gluten containing bread or gluten containing product, whether it's a sauce or an oil that had leftover breading on it. That is enough to trigger an immune reaction in someone with celiac disease. So you have to be very strict. And then there are also certain ingredients there's natural flavors, there's things like xanthan gum, which can often have either um, gluten in them, or it can have cross-contamination issues based on how they're processed. But we don't really know what the term natural flavors mean. That could be coming from anywhere. So the only way to know if that's gluten-free is if the product has been certified gluten-free, or you have to call the manufacturer, what a pain in the butt, to figure out what the source of that ingredient is. So what about gluten sensitivity? So gluten sensitivity affects about 6 to 7% of otherwise healthy Americans. So gluten sensitivity, some people will call it gluten intolerance, is a somewhat vague claim um, by people who definitely do not have celiac, but they eliminate gluten and they report feeling a lot better. This term was really belittled by the scientific and medical establishment for a long time because it had no discernible cause or explanation. And then you look at the survey that was done in 2013 that showed one-third of Americans avoid gluten. So what the heck? Why is this happening? Now, if we look at some of the research, adverse reactions to gluten have been linked to numerous health conditions, including gluten ataxia, which is a type of cerebral ataxia, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, type 1 diabetes, autism, schizophrenia, and depression. So gluten is not the main cause of these diseases. I want to make that clear. The research is showing that people who have these conditions find that eating gluten may make their symptoms worse. And in many cases, a gluten-free diet has, has been shown to help manage their symptoms. And I can definitely speak to this on an anecdotal level. I have several clients who have Hashimoto's, and they're constantly getting their TPO antibodies measured. And upon following a gluten-free diet, they notice that their TPO antibodies have gone down and their other markers for thyroid have improved. Now, this becomes very tricky, right, especially when we're talking about gluten, what, where do we find gluten? We haven't even talked about that yet, and I think this is a really important piece of the puzzle. So gluten, it's, it's found in these grains, but it's also found in things like cookies and breads and cakes and um, crackers, lots of these processed foods. And so when I look at uh, a claim about, oh, gluten made me feel bad, and when I cut it out, it made me feel better... I'm always asking, well, what were you eating? Were you eating oats that were just cross-contaminated with gluten? And then when you made the switch, you noticed that you were less bloated or had less brain fog. 
Or did you start eating less cookies and breads and then therefore switch to a more unprocessed whole food diet? So that's a really important piece of this discussion. And then you have the topic of glyphosate. So several people have a theory that glyphosate is contributing to the types of reactions that people are seeing from these types of grain products or wheat products. And part of it is the theory that the glyphosate, which is a weed killer found in Roundup, is causing um, microbial issues. So in our gut microbiome, there's been few, few research studies that show that glyphosate might be changing the composition of the gut microbiome in a negative way. And then there's also other components to these products, such as lectins and um, amylase trypsin inhibitors. So it it just becomes really complex. There's so many different components of these foods that people theorize might be harming somebody's gut microbiome or might be harming Um, their body in terms of inflammation or um, reactivity to these compounds. And then we have the topic of FODMAPs. So I've done an entire episode on the low FODMAP diet, especially in relation to irritable bowel syndrome and small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. But wheat, which is often found in gluten-containing foods, is a high FODMAP molecule. And so what that means is that it can be poorly digested, leading to fermentation, gas, bloating in patients who have either IBS, dysbiosis, an imbalance of bacteria. They might have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or, you know, a host of other GI issues that are not being addressed in terms of the root cause. So the symptoms for Um, Non-celiac gluten sensitivity are similar to those of celiac disease, things like the fatigue, the changes in mood, the brain fog, skin issues, joint pain, and even things like infertility, irregular periods, hair loss. A lot of these conditions overlap. Typically, we don't see constipation with celiac disease. We're more likely to see diarrhea. So for gluten sensitivity, constipation can be a symptom in addition to the other extra intestinal symptoms that I mentioned. Oftentimes with celiac disease, you'll see low ferritin, you might see low vitamin D, you might see low folic acid, calcium because of the damage to the small intestine. With non-celiac gluten sensitivity, you might not see these nutrient deficiencies because as I mentioned previously, you're not getting true damage to the intestines. And then the last term, you know, just to throw in another one in the mix, is wheat allergy. And this is an immune response to one or more of the proteins found in wheat. And it can be gluten, but it can also be the other proteins. And symptoms of wheat allergy include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, bloating, and irritation to the mouth or the throat. So a common symptom would be something like canker sores or, um, you know, a feeling of itchiness in the back of the throat. You might experience extra intestinal symptoms like hives, rash, nasal congestion, eye irritation, and difficulty breathing. So we have celiac, we have non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and then we have wheat allergy. 
So it's really important that you work with a practitioner who's very familiar with a lot of these conditions because, as I mentioned, they can be very easy to misdiagnose. So what if you test negative for celiac? You cut out gluten, you think you have gluten sensitivity, but you don't feel any better. Well, you might have something else going on. And more often than not, clients come to me after cutting out gluten, they don't feel any better, and we find that they actually have other conditions like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, also known as SIBO. They might have irritable bowel syndrome, which is not a root cause diagnosis, but it explains a lot of their symptoms, and we treat by getting to the root cause of hormone imbalance, thyroid issues, maybe their diet quality um, needs to be improved. Microscopic colitis is something that I see, lactose intolerance, eating disorders, ulcers, gastroparesis, meaning um, very slow gastric emptying that can result in a lot of bloating and constipation. And it can also take away from um, the ability for practitioners to recognize food allergies, other food allergies, not a gluten or a wheat allergy, but cow's milk, for example, or soy allergies. There's other ones out there that I think are getting pushed to the side because we have such a culture right now focused on gluten. So this is why I have taken the approach in my private practice to assess each client holistically. We're talking about stress. We're talking about the timeline of your symptoms. I want to know what supplements you're taking. I want to know your family history, your trauma. We're talking about hormones. So it's really important that you're looking at the big picture. Do I think that everyone should be eating gluten-free? No, I don't think everyone should be eating gluten-free. I think it's important to assess the individual, their history with autoimmune conditions, their history with GI conditions, their use of antibiotics. I think it's important to note that I have clients who eat gluten on a daily basis and feel great. They have great gut health. They have great hormones. Their thyroid levels look good. So there are people out there who tolerate gluten just fine. And whole grains might be really beneficial for one person in terms of improving you know, heart disease outcomes, diabetes, um, weight management. But then there's someone who also might just not tolerate these types of grains. They might find that they cause more digestive upset, and they might just not feel overall better on these foods. And that's okay. The important thing to note is that if you don't feel good on them, is it because it's the food itself or it's because you're not treating an underlying condition? Let's say you have SIBO and you, you know, cut out a lot of the grains and the gluten-containing products and you're basically just managing your symptoms, but you're never actually treating the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's an example where using this as a symptom management can be harmful because then you risk the, the harm of missing a medical condition that can be treated to allow you to then increase these foods and enjoy them and enjoy their health benefits. And quite honestly, too, you look at the shelves nowadays that are lined with gluten-free products, these contain gums and preservatives and sodium, and they're often using 
starchy grains like potato starch or rice starch that are lower in fiber and nutrients than a whole grain product might be that does contain gluten. So if you're going to go gluten-free, and this is what I suggest to my clients, is to try eating a less processed diet that still is rich in whole grains like brown rice and millet and sour gum and um, all these different grains that are gluten-free, but they are less processed and don't have these added binders in them. So you don't need to spend the extra you know, $10 on that gluten-free bread if you're basically just going to be buying more processed food that's probably not going to make your digestive system feel better. Now, of course, you should always speak with your practitioner. Um, it's important that you not diagnose yourself with um, gluten sensitivity or celiac disease. You really want to work with a professional because you might end up being too restrictive with your diet. Carbohydrates are the main source of energy for the body. And if you cut your gluten and wheat out, you might be removing carbohydrates that are fueling your body. It is crucial that you do not decide to diagnose yourself with celiac or non-celiac gluten sensitivity by yourself. You want to work with a team of practitioners who are very educated in this topic. You want a gastroenterologist. You want a registered dietitian who specializes in digestive health, such as myself, because as you probably picked up from the episode, it is more complex than just, oh, I cut out gluten and felt better. And... Um, you want to make sure that you're preventing um, some serious long-term damage, or you could be covering up a health issue that has serious long-term complications. So happy National Celiac Disease Month. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you are interested in working one-on-one -on -one with me to improve your gut health and get to the root cause of why you aren't reaching your health goals, you can go to nutritionrewired.com where you can also find my gut healing guide, which is a fantastic resource for anybody who is looking to improve their gut health. I also have a dessert cookbook rewire your sweet tooth, which is a delicious collection of gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free recipes that do not sacrifice taste, most importantly. So thanks again for tuning in, and don't forget to share the health.